Gone, a podcast about people who have gone missing from the upper Midwest of the United States and southern Ontario. These people didn't just disappear. Someone, somewhere, knows something. My name is Janelle Feller. And I'm Katie Nordby. What happened to Amy Sue Pagnick? Information for this article came from reports by Care 11 News, The Charlie Project, KSTP-TV, The Star Tribune, Washington Times, and Fox 9 News. This story takes place in Maple Grove, Minnesota, which is in the northwestern point of Hennepin County. It sits on Interstate 94, just north of where 494 and 694 merge at the northwest corner of the Twin Cities. The population of Maple Grove is around 70,000. Part of this story takes place in Isanti County. Isanti County is just is north and just a little east of Maple Grove. The population of Isanti County is around 40,000. The county is mostly rural and home to well-to-do families. On August 5, 1985, 13-year-old Amy Pagnick and her stepfather, Marshall Midden, took a day, day trip to their family farm in Isanti County. On their way back, they were two miles from their home in Maple Grove, and Midden stopped at the Holiday Gas Station in Osseo to use the restroom. When he got back to the car, Amy was gone. He waited, thinking she'd gone to use the restroom. He looked around, and then he called Amy's mom, Susan Pagnick Sr., to see if she had walked home. Amy Pagnick wasn't seen again. Amy was said to have been prone to seizures, bouts of anger, severe headaches, and allergies. One article states that she may have had bipolar disorder, although she was, had not been diagnosed with it at the time. Originally, it was thought that she may have run away. She had run away before, uh, but it always returned a short while later. So I know that this is 1985. Yeah. But, I mean, there was no video footage from the gas station. I mean, don't they normally have surveillance? Well, I think they do, but, but they didn't get any gas. Or it doesn't say that they got any gas. It says that they just stopped to use the restroom. And so um, I think that if they were... If, maybe if they were getting gas, I think those those video cameras would maybe shine on the uh, on the gas pumps to see to you know for people who drive off um, without paying for their gas. But I don't know that it would have been around maybe a side or a corner or you know I don't know that it would have been around the whole perimeter of the property. Sure. Um, but uh, there doesn't there apparently wasn't any video footage of him at that time or the car. So um, Amy went missing just. It was just two months before Jacob Wetterling was abducted in St. Joseph, which is near St. Cloud, and it's that's also just off of Interstate 94. Uh, it doesn't appear as if these two cases have anything related, but it is. they were close in age, and, and it was around the same time. The search for Amy is still an open case uh, for the Maple Grove Police Department. They have a whole room dedicated to her. Behind lock and key are files of classified information, maps, tapes of interviews, age progression photos, and search warrants. Every year on the anniversary of Amy's disappearance, the department gets 6 to 12 tips. There are no witnesses, no signs, or tracks. No trail and no idea what happened to Amy. So law enforcement looks toward the last person who saw her, and that was her stepfather, Marshall Midden. At the time, Midden was a computer programmer for the University of Minnesota. The hobby farm in Isanti County and the home in Maple Grove have both been searched at least twice, 
and nothing was found. Amy's mother, Susan, and her stepfather have both taken and passed polygraph tests. Um, there is no mention of who Amy's real father is or where he lives or what he does. Amy's mother uh, stated that she believes that her daughter is alive and, quote, was abducted by organized crime for sex trafficking, unquote. And that just, that just, that combination of words just is weird to me. I mean, it's a little strange because you think about in the 80s, I mean, obviously sex trafficking has been going on for forever, but to say those words, I mean, have we been calling it sex trafficking since the 80s? Well, this could have been, this this quote could have been taken more recently than that. Sure. Um, It could have been as as recent as, you know, within the last um, 10 years, probably. But um, the part that bothers me is it's that, that... the mother says she was abducted by organized crime for sex trafficking. That, I mean, this is Maple Grove, Minnesota. It's not in this area, even though Maple Grove is a, has a large population. It, it, this, is, this is kind of a, a rural area, a quiet community that they lived in. And, and, and it's just, it seems, that just seems weird to me, organized crime for sex trafficking. I think that um, it just feels a little forced and a little... Um, prepared. It's oddly specific. Yeah, it is. It is. Her case is remains cold and is unsolved. Amy Pagnick would be 43 years old today. She is Caucasian, light brown hair, blue eyes. She has a petite frame. There's a scar on her left cheek, on the side of her nose, and her left eyelid. There's a circular scar located on her left knee. She has seizures due to unknown causes and allergies. If you know anything about Amy Pagnick, please call the Maple Grove Police Department at 612-494-6114. So the case that I have today is a little too close to home. This is the case of five-year-old Leanna Warner, who was also known as Beaner from Chisholm, Minnesota. On June 14, 2003, Kaylin Warner and her daughter Leanna were in a nearby town garage sailing and had returned home around 4.30. Leanna had fallen asleep in the car on the way home, and once they were home, Kaylin was unloading the car, and Leanna woke up and said that she wanted to say goodbye to one of her friends that lived down the road. It was only about a block or a block and a half, and so her mom said, all right, but you've only got five minutes. A few of the articles that I've read said that she was barefoot when she went to her friend's house, which was totally typical for Leanna, But this is interesting considering what they found after she went missing. So by 5.15, Leanna Stilla wasn't home. For the first few hours, her mother walked the neighborhood knocking on doors. A couple neighbors did report seeing Leanna walking to her friend's house, knocking on the door, and when no one answered, she walked away. Leanna's father worked for the ambulance service at the time and had returned home from a call out of town, and he began searching also. Um, So by 8.30... Kaylin calls 911. Local police, the rescue squad, and search dogs are brought in to search for Leanna. By 4 a.m., the state patrol helicopter has joined the search and it's scouring the area. There is no sign of Leanna. A tragedy like this was unheard of in this small town. The only thing that they found were her shoes on the front steps of her friend's house, which is odd because she reportedly left home barefoot, so I'm not 100% sure which part is accurate. The dogs do pick up her scent and follow it to the edge of a road near a lake at a little ways from her home. 
Volunteers walked shoulder to shoulder through the cattails in and around the lake. Footprints they found turned out to be from another day. They even drained the lake a little bit so the helicopter could see to the bottom. Liana was nowhere to be found. Could, did they find any DNA on her shoes? Not that I'm aware of. And, and I, I found, I read a couple articles that said that she was barefoot and a couple articles that said that she wasn't. So there was no mention of the shoes in any of the articles other than they either found the shoes or she was barefoot. So I don't... Because that's the only thing remaining. Right. It's just a, that if you can, there's a place that there could have been DNA left if, if there was any to leave. Right. And I looked, I looked more into that shoe, um, issue, but I, I'm not sure which part of that's correct. Cause oh. I, I couldn't find anything else about it. Over the next days, hundreds of people from all over Minnesota came to help. They searched iron ore mines, pit lakes, dumpsters, garages, sheds, and rural barns, hoping that maybe she just got lost and sought refuge, but no clues were found. The current chief of police, who was an investigator at the time of Leanna's disappearance, says it isn't likely that she just walked off and that she was likely abducted, but again, they had nothing to go off of. At the time of Leanna's disappearance, people in the neighborhood remembered seeing a few unidentified people. The first was a man in his mid-30s seen on foot in the neighborhood about the time she went missing. He was approximately 5'10", 150 pounds, and had a dark-colored tattoo of a star or a sun on his right arm. The next was a maroon and blue two-door Cadillac driven by an African-American man in his 20s or 30s with a bald or shaven head. The last was an older model rusty brown pickup truck driven by a Caucasian man with black curly hair. Now this is a small town. In 2003, the town of Chisholm had roughly 5,000 people. So you could imagine people or vehicles that you didn't recognize would probably stand out especially in a quiet neighborhood. These people haven't been identified, and they're not tied to this case, as far as I've read. At the time of Leanna's disappearance, there was a jazz festival and a motorcycle rally happening that, in town that night. It said that thousands of visitors were in town. This could potentially explain those unidentified people. So a couple months go by and still no Leanna. In August, a 24-year-old named Matthew James Curtis is arrested for possession of child pornography, which wasn't related to Leanna's case. But he was interrogated several times about a possible connection to her disappearance. They even processed his truck for her DNA, but they found nothing. In September 2003, the day before he was supposed to appear in court on the pornography charge, Matthew James Curtis is found dead. His death is ruled a suicide, and the case was closed. The sheriff at the time said many agencies would have liked to have followed up with Curtis since he was the best lead that they had. Unfortunately, they didn't get that chance. More than six months after Leanna had gone missing, a convicted sex offender named Joseph Edward Duncan III wrote on his web blog that he was afraid he would be blamed for her disappearance. In June of 2003, when she went missing, Duncan lived 190 miles away in Fargo, North Dakota. Okay, I... So, is this guy in jail? Right, yes. So, <clears throat> he's in jail and he has a blog? Apparently. Okay. Um, and he, he's concerned that he may be a suspect in this, in this crime. Um, that, that's, that's odd. It is odd. Well, I, I, guess it's, I guess just the idea of that would make, cause people to look into you to see if 
if you were. Uh, it's like asking people to, to take a look and to see if maybe he hadn't been involved in that crime. Right. And so it's, it's, really, it's really concerning that this guy out of nowhere in prison says that, you know, he's worried that he's going to get blamed for this. But I think that, you know, if you're, if you're a bad guy like this guy was, mm -hmm. then, you know, maybe there is a concern that you maybe did this. That you maybe did this. That's yeah. upsetting all the way around. Yeah, he was a bad guy. He is connected to murders and, mol and molestations in Idaho, California, Washington, Minnesota, and North Dakota. In that posting, he says, I tried to figure out what I was doing that day since I'm always afraid of getting accused when something like this happens. Liana's father found it very unsettling that this man would even mention his daughter's name. The FBI and investigators tried to find out if Duncan had in fact been in the area at the time that she went missing, but from what I could find, they, there wasn't anything to suggest that he either was or he wasn't. Duncan claimed that he had gone to, gone to watch two co-workers parachute out of a plane and that he also went shopping, but he didn't have receipts to prove that that was what he was up to. What year was that? What year was what? What year? What year did um, did did he write this in his blog? Was it just? Was it that same year? It was that same year. Yeah, it was like December or January. So it would have been like December two thousand three or January two thousand four. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Honest. Honestly, I don't know that I could have told you what I was doing six months ago to the day. The only way that I would know is is that I work in a place where I write down on my calendar. But if there was nothing written on the calendar, I don't know that I could tell you what I was doing on a specific day um, six months ago. Right. And I think that that's why this is even more concerning is that if, you, if you've been connected to multiple murders and molestations across the country, I mean, if this is what you do, I mean, it, there could be a chance that you did this and you don't even know who it was. I mean, that sure, you've you forgotten have had your a victims. Name. Right. You wouldn't have had a name, maybe. Right. Yeah. The Chisholm police chief, uh, Scott Erickson, said it was a long shot and a very frustrating case. Um, any community with a missing child is going to try to connect it to this guy. After that, there isn't really anything um, about the case until about 2006. Liana's parents, Chris and Kaylin, appeared on The Maury Show, hosted by Maury Povich. They said in the weeks before her disappearance, Liana was behaving strangely. One day, she came home with a case filled with Barbie dolls and their clothes. When asked where she got them, she only said a little old lady gave them to her. Now, this may be true and innocent as it might sound, but it raises some red flags to me, especially now that she's missing. Um, when we talk about grooming behaviors, buying things or giving presents is one of them. A week before she went missing, she packed a suitcase and said she was going to live with her new family. Again, this could be innocent, but now that she's missing, it seems really odd. Two weeks before she went missing, Leanna was found sleeping in a closet in their home. When asked why, she said that there were monsters outside her window. Her father went so far as to check for footprints outside. When she said this a second time, her father told her, they won't get you. Two weeks later, she vanished. The police had this information and looked into it, but again, it led nowhere. So since then, there have been no new updates in the case that I could find. Investigators have chased some 2,000 leads over the years, all of them dead ends. There are no clues that have, been made, that have been made public. There is no evidence. Police have always said that they've had people of interest, but with little to go on, there hasn't been a suspect. The police chief says they still get calls and tips, and they follow each one. 
He made it clear that this case is not closed. It's still treated as an open case. Liana was last seen wearing a blue denim dress with an attached belt. Her right ear is pierced with a flower earring with a red garnet stone in the middle. In Chisholm, her missing child poster is still up around town. Liana's parents stayed in their Chisholm home for many years after she went missing, always leaving the porch light on. They eventually moved to a different town, as difficult as it was. They were afraid that she wouldn't be able to find them if she came back home. It's difficult to leave, but even harder going back there, where visions and memories flood to the surface. Liana would be 21 years old this year if she was alive today. Her father believes she is. He says they haven't found anything to show that she's not alive, and that's their biggest clue. Even if she isn't alive, the family just wants to know. We believe that someone, somewhere, knows something. If you know anything or saw something related to the case or that day that Liana went missing, even if you thought it was insignificant at the time, it may lead to answers. We will post Liana Warner's photos on our website along with her missing child photo with her description, along with any other helpful information. If you have information or tips, call the Chisholm Police Department at 218-254-7915 or the National Center for Missing and Endangered Children at 1-800-THE-LOST. That's 1-800-843-5678. So I think what's interesting about both of these cases is that these two girls vanished without a trace. Nothing has been found about either of them. I mean, they happened in different decades, but nothing. They literally disappeared without a trace. They still haven't been found. I mean, um, Leanne has only been gone I mean, it, 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 for a short time, but I guess it's not to the parents. Right. But neither one of them. No remains, no calls home. I mean, there's been some, there's been in the Amy Pagnet case, there was two different, not, there was this one sighting and one person who reported to someone else that they were Amy Pagnick. And that was it. That's a, that's a very distinct name. It's not a common name um, for somebody to just pick up. Right. But there is nothing that they were able to follow up on that. And that's terrifying. I mean, you think of the technology today and, you know, if there was a speck of blood or, you know, some something to test DNA, we have these technologies now that you can find those things. You can find these these people who take these children or that murder people based on the science today. But in these cases, there's nothing. There's nothing left behind to test. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what, that that's just, that's just, that's so upsetting to me because it just is um, unthinkable that somebody can disappear. Right. And children. And children to just go missing like that because... No good is going to come of that. There, there, um, I, I, there's no good that is going to come of that. And and what these children are going through, have gone through, went through, uh, it's just so upsetting. And the idea that it can happen here in you know rural Minnesota, right? We're talking right now in International Falls, and International Falls is a town of about six, seven thousand, and and we're not much bigger than Chisholm. Yeah, and. If it can happen in Chisholm, it can happen anywhere. Right. 
I think the bright spot, though, is that, I mean, there have been cases of people who have gone missing for 10 years. I mean, you think of the women in Ohio that were found in this in this home, m- multiple women who were held for a decade, and they were all found safe. You think of J.C. Dugard, um, you know, again, who was missing for a decade, and she right. was found safe. I mean, I think that there's there's always hope. I think that you should never give up hope, but and I think that's terrifying. kind of one of the reasons that we're doing this podcast is, is that, that there's a, there's all, there's always hope. Right. And it, I, it's, it feels impossible that somebody can just disappear yeah. without a trace that they, there's something left behind and um, hopefully they're alive. And the, um, but even in those cases that you mentioned, the idea that somebody could be held captive for a dozen years, that's that's upsetting in a, in a it's just as upsetting but in a different kind of way. Yeah. Um and uh but I it just I find it hard to believe that somebody can just disappear and never be seen again. Not a trace. Yeah. Not a trace. And I think that by by talking about these cases and you know, repeating these these children's names or these people who have gone missing, talking about their cases and repeating their names and it'll just keep their cases on the surface and they won't get lost um, or forgotten or forgotten. Yeah. And I think that there, there, there were some similarities between the two cases and that the uh, police departments in those communities, um, that these are still open and active cases that they haven't, they haven't quit looking that they're still searching. And um, I suppose for law enforcement, when, a child goes missing that you just, you don't forget. Right. It rocks your community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chisholm is, is 125 miles from here and it's, it affected, it affected us here. It felt as if one of our own had gone missing because it's so close and it, and it, and we're so similar. We're so small. Um, and, uh, you know, and you talked about that there was two big events going on at the same time. The, the motorcycle um, rally rally and, and then the jazz fest which it, for a town of 5,000 the addition of 2,000 people or so really is a influx and uh, brought a whole different uh, group of people to the community in the yeah. area and uh, yeah so it's not uh, it wouldn't be uncommon to see people that you didn't know yeah or you didn't, didn't recognize in town because yeah there's these events going on that people want to want to be a part of right and um i suppose you know if you were a predator um you might be drawn to activities like that in small towns um because it's a sleepy small town i mean um there's you're not expecting bad things to happen in your quiet neighborhood and um i suppose if that was if you were a predator that might be attractive to you. Well, and there's a lot going on. It's really busy, and there's a lot of people, and there's a Summertime. lot of commotion, and things might go unnoticed because mm-hmm. there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. And in, I think that in the Amy Pagnet case, it was almost the reverse. It was a, it was a August day, and it was in the middle of summer, and in a quiet little gas station, and nobody's paying attention because it's just a quiet 
August day. Right. And I think that, uh, and you wouldn't be thinking to watch for unusual behavior, odd cars, things that were out of the ordinary, uh, especially at a gas station, because that would probably happen all the time. Right. You wouldn't, it wouldn't be out of the ordinary to. Right. Yeah. And that she went missing and there's just not a trace. And they dug up, I mean, I think they had ex- excavator, excavators and uh, all of that kind of equipment on the farm, the hobby farm in Isanti County, and they didn't find anything. Yeah, and just she's just gone. It's scary. It's scary, and I think maybe that because it's scary, that's probably why uh, we wanted to do this podcast, is to somehow get some control over the scary parts in life by looking at it a little bit closer and on trying to understand it a little bit better and and hopefully somewhere somebody this it sparks something in somebody's memory and um, an idea a thought could help us find one of these girls absolutely which would be such a relief for the parents I mean I, I think dead or alive just to know, to know something yeah just to yeah. know and and put it to rest and not to worry, not to continue to worry all these years later. And wonder. And wonder. We ask that you do not reach out to the family or post names of possible suspects on social media. Missing person photos, along with other information and articles used for these cases, can be found on our website at gone-podcast.com. Mm-hmm.